What is up, guys? Welcome back to the Meaning Up Podcast, the podcast where we talk about your favorite directors and the deeper meaning within their films. Obviously, I'm here with RB3 and Sabrina, but today, our very special guest from the Nerd, Nerd Goat Podcast and the Nerd Goat Patreon, and from Reboot It, it is Mr. Ed Greer. What is up, man? What's up, guys? How are you? This is, it's really great to be here. Like, uh, like we were talking off air, I just been listening to you guys so i feel like i've had your voices in my head for a while so it's nice to be able to say something instead of being like oh eh, eh. <laughs> you know i can say something now yeah you can talk back and tell me how wrong my opinions are <laughs> no uh, no wait i just want to say one thing you yeah. bringing up martial arts all the time in the nba it is near and dear to my heart if i can't liken thanos to lebron what kind of world are we living in you know yeah. what i'm saying <laughs> so i i get you dude i get you yeah, I appreciate that. Thank you, man. Yeah, and obviously, you know, LeBron is going to snap everyone out of existence in this <laughs> NBA bubble. Uh, but either way, guys, we're talking about Blade uh, on this episode. Obviously, a character that I've talked about. I've mentioned him in many other episodes in the past about the significance of this character to me personally. Uh, but obviously, I want to talk about the movies, uh, the significance significance of the character for each of us individually. Uh, but this is obviously a character who still holds a lot of significance when it comes to obviously being essentially the origin of Marvel Studios uh, pictures and movies. 1998 is when we saw a different take on a comic book movie, and it was started with Blade. And then obviously now, last year at Comic-Con, I believe it was last year, when Mahershala Ali was announced to be the new Blade. And I remember as if it were yesterday when Kevin Feige said, I just said I want Mahershala, and I said, you can play whoever you want. And Mahershala is the one who said, I want to play Blade. Uh, so this character clearly has a lot of, of hold over people, uh, a lot of memories. Uh, people love this character. Uh, what do you think that is, Ed? And, and what do you think is the, the future of this character? Well, I think, well, first you got to address the fact that this is a better character than what we had in the comic books mm. because I'm not going to, I'm older than you guys, but I'm not that damn old that I was reading them. Gene Cullen and, uh, and Marv Wolfman as, yeah. you know, vampire by night, werewolf by day as comics. <laughs> I didn't read all that, but I'm aware of them. And I went back and researched them and the blade character in those books has, a, has a light sensitivity is a good martial artist and has a bunch of stakes all over him, like Rambo bandoliers. And that's it. No fresh superpowers, no Daywalker vampire stuff, no vampire powers at all, except for their weaknesses. It's almost like they inverted it, right? He had all their weaknesses and none of their strengths in the comic, which kind of made him hardcore because he's like, I can't even see, but I'm a whoop you, you know? And it was cute for a minute, but it's not a lasting cool character. What David S. Goyer did was literally put the battery in this fool's back. We can rebuild him stronger, smarter, more damn sense, you know? And, and made Blade what we saw in that first movie, just to, just to be clear. His vision, because I've read every iteration of that screenplay. I'm that dude. And, and every iteration of that screenplay, he made that character 100 times better than he was on the page. Yeah, and obviously a significant portion of that is the performance of Wesley Snipes. Obviously, we'll get into that as well. Uh, Sabrina, same question. Why, why does this character mean so much to so many people? Sorry, can you repeat that? It cut out. Why does this character mean so much to so many people? I honestly think that at that time, we hadn't really had, especially for Marvel Studios, 
not too many like really cool actually like edgy grounded comic books that kind of we can see something in our daily lives when you watch it especially revisiting it now and the way they portray a lot of the themes especially in terms of like cops and just that whole underground under cd belly like this is just in this case it's just vampires but in real life we can kind of take it to something else and and connect have that connection with it so we have that and also this character is just cool as hell this was the first like marvel success like you mentioned wesley snipes is iconic as this character he always has been and blade isn't really given the credit nowadays that it should because it it was so successful and it has made such an impact but still when people talk about some of their favorite comic book uh films or comic book trilogies it's never really in the conversation but i feel like it deserves to be and at the time it came out it really was it's something groundbreaking and interesting to look back on like two decades later and look back on that and see what so i just really think this character is something that's cool we love to see on screen edgy it has that that late 90s early 2000s comic book a little bit of that cheese but in a cool way at the same time so it's just enjoyable in all these different aspects so i think that's why i'm really happy to uh, talk about it today with you guys yeah it's definitely sprinkled in there it's got that little parmesan olive garden yeah. style <laughs> just a little bit you know not too much just be like uh, a shot and he he smiles and then he goes back to kicking ass i'm like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. rb3 yeah, no, excuse me. This is exactly what Sabrina said. Like that, that little bit of that cheesiness. It came off. This was like right, like after. This is like Marvel's answer to like uh, Tim Burton's Batman, essentially. Like you know, uh, where where the '89 Batman really changed the way people saw the Batman character. Really saw the way people saw comic book movies in general. Kind of put like a darker spin on it. This was Marvel's answer to it. And honestly, I mean, I, I think the first Blade was iconic because, like you said, it was grounded. It, lo it, it looked realistic. It felt realistic. And it felt like something, frankly, we hadn't seen before. And a lot of that, too, was down to a star like Wesley Snipes. Like, people loved, like, Wesley Snipes at the time. Like, he was, like, a, just a cool, like, movie star in general. But having, like, a black superhero, like, at this, like, time in, like, the early, in, in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, was different. That was like a, a, a distinctive like quality that just kind of made it the extra like um factor for, for for a lot of people. So that's why I think I connect to it a lot. Um, it was one of those movies that you know you just saw in the house like this this black dude doing the, these martial arts with these swords, uh, ripping people's necks out. You know what I mean? Like shooting them up with silver bullets and all that. Like it's just craziness. You know what I mean? It's like something you never never could have imagined. And I think the DNA of, of the first Blade, you know, um, because of the writer David S. Gore, you even see some of the DNA in this movie even translated into, like, Batman Begins. You know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. I think mm -hmm. the same reasons why people love Blade is the same reasons why people love Batman Begins, because it's, like, a perfect origin story that doesn't, like, waste time in giving you, like, every single particular of, like, every part of his life, but gives you just the, the points and the, and, the, and the origin beats that really emphasizes your, your connection to the character. So... I think that's why I think this whole trilogy has just always been something people connected with. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that that's absolutely spot on, man. Obviously, Batman Begins is one of my all-time favorite comic book movies as well. Uh, and there's also martial arts in that. Uh, plays a significant portion in that movie, uh, which I think is even better. Uh, but, but we're going to start, obviously, going through the movies, guys. But we're going to start with the most recent movie. Uh, and this is one that Sabrina has just rewatched literally just now. 
Uh, RB3 just rewatched this. I, I skipped it on my rewatch list. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen it enough. Uh, we know Dominic Purcell. But either way, <laughs> this is Blade Trinity. Uh, what a lot of people consider to be the worst of the trilogy. Uh, the most disappointing, almost a sour note to go off on. Uh, uh, Ed, just general thoughts, because we genuinely don't know your thoughts on this movie. What is your <laughs> thoughts on Blade Trinity? I mean, Blade Trinity really was a bad marriage breaking up. You mm-hmm. know, have you seen a couple at a party right before they break up? They just got this horrible energy. And like, even when they're trying to fake it, you can see it. That's what it was like, uh, Goyer and Wesley Snipes. I don't know what happened, dude. Maybe he roundhouse kicked this fool or something. I don't know <laughs> what yeah. happened. But David S. Goyer and he just didn't get along. They were passing post-its to each other to communicate. You know, uh, as Sabrina was saying a little bit earlier off air, the, 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 uh, some scenes where he <laughs> wouldn't open his eyes, scenes where yeah. he wouldn't show up and would have his stand-in do, like, whole scenes. And then, it, and then when Blade goes past the salt they do that shot and then the whole rest of the scene from handing the pepper and the this and that all that was the stunt double and they're shooting it all at cheated angles and not quite pulling that off because he wouldn't come out of his trailer for whatever reason so all that to say and also we got pre-deadpool uh right mm-hmm. uh ryan reynolds being the least charming he's ever been in human existence uh, <laughs> On some level, David S. Uh, David S. Goyer's direction sucked all the charm out of Ryan Reynolds. Just sit on that one for a second. You know what I'm saying? That's ridiculous. Yeah. That's a ridiculous incompetence. And then Dominic Purcell talk about, I'm Dracula. Okay, homie, quit it. You got to stop that. <laughs> you are not cool. You don't have no, you know what I'm saying? You don't have none of that Transylvanian allure. You're just mm. some mook. You suck. Like, yeah. how did you get this? He's so good in other things. But not this ain't it, Chief. And then finally, uh, Jessica Biel, other, utterly wasted, stupid ass CGI compound bow. How how you go have a laser bow? This is ridiculous. Like Sabrina was saying earlier, one of the dope things about this was how grounded it was for something so arcane and dealing with the arcane. And this just threw it out the window and overlit it. I mean, R- uh, RB3 could talk about how overlit it is. I mean, it's, it looked like a Friends episode, and it's like. <laughs> so there's a lot there's a lot there guys yeah i mean obviously everything you just said obviously shout out to (laughs) jessica biel uh who's currently an anti-vaxxer i guess uh yikes oh well Uh, then whatever yeah big old yikes uh and then obviously going back to my parmesan cheese point at olive garden this is like the hatch broke and just all the cheese just came out yeah, it's just fall everywhere. You're just like, no, it's not even salad anymore. Um, that's this movie. You got no... He's, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's pretty much what Blade Trinity became because I think, like like Sabrina said, add a little sprinkle, you know? Uh, but when you just pour keep it, it on there... Yeah, keep it fun. But this was, like, so cheesy to the point, like what you said about Ryan Reynolds. Uh, homie, he was kind of annoying in this movie. Uh, yeah, he's like like Deadpool because Deadpool was trying to be uh, slightly annoying uh even more annoying in this movie but uh RB3 I don't know if you love Blade Trinity so I want to toss it to you <laughs> definitely I don't think I love it it's definitely upon rewatching that I could definitely it definitely soured my memory of it a little bit um what, what is funny though it 
is you could see it so perfectly. This movie came out in two thousand four. You could tell they were really trying to go after like that Michael Bay, like I said, the overlit, like saturated, uh, big action spectacle aesthetic. That it was just it was just weird. Like especially you know after we saw the first one, which is more grounded, more of like a street kind of thriller ish, uh, more kind of kind of concept. And the second one, which Guillermo del Toro does, and it's a lot more fantasy driven, a lot more whimsical um a lot more cgi um this one just takes it to a whole nother level though um and it's just to a, a level that's little 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 insane um I don't, I don't know um but you know i do think it's interesting that this is something that david s Goyer actually wrote and directed himself like um he wrote the 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 first two movies and he was i guess this is it kind of gives you almost a look into his head of how he almost kind of imagines these movies to kind of turn out, right? And I guess you kind of see the, <laughs> the director and how they kind of steer uh, the tone and make it and make it make it how it is. Also, um, um, big thumbs down to Joss Whedon. He did uh, some uh, alleged rewrites on this movie. Uh, so, oh, uh, big thumbs down for that for sure. I didn't know that. That's wild. <laughs> Uh, Sabrina, your thoughts? Yeah, I basically echo everything you guys have said about this film so far. Um, it's, you know, you really gotta, you gotta know how to do, when you're doing the cheese, you gotta know when to stop. And this one is just so campy. And it is so, as RB3 said, like, like attempting to do like style and no substance. So it just comes out very flat. What we're seeing on screen is so much. They're doing those arrows and everything like that, but I feel nothing. Like, like when I was just watching it, I didn't have the same, it just didn't have the same effect on me as I was watching it. Like I was just kind of, wasn't really following the story, which is such a disappointment because I was a kid when this came out and I remember watching it and being so excited and seeing Jessica Biel and I was like, oh yeah, that's awesome. She looks so cool. But then again, I also loved Daredevil, like the Ben Affleck Daredevil. Yeah. And it's kind of the same thing, like rewatching it now. I like that one a, little, a lot more, but it's the same thing where I'm like, okay, I really love this as a kid. So I thought that's how I was going to feel where I'm like, okay, I loved it as a kid. It's still nostalgic for me. And it just falls so flat compared to the other ones. So watching them all three as a trilogy and just seeing how great the first one was, how much I love the second one as well, and then this third final conclusion and really just all the background noise of how much how they didn't get along, Wesley Snipes and David S. Boyer, all of that is just absolutely ridiculous. Like Ed said, um, talking through post-it notes, Wesley yeah. Snipes wouldn't talk to him. It's when there's like the everybody in the background has to work together to create a great film, and everything was just falling apart over there on that end. And it just kind of shows on screen. It just seems like Wesley Snipes didn't really care anymore, and he was just so great in the first two. And this third one is just like. Yeah, I really do feel like there's something to be said about what's been going on over the past, I mean, 20 years in comic book movies where you have the Spider-Man 2s, you have the uh, the original Spider-Man, and then you have Iron Man, and then you have the Dark Knight. So tonally, these movies are very different. And then some movies go out of their way to make it very fun, uh, over the top, very comic booky, right? Um I still think Sam Raimi's a genius at making those first two Spider-Man movies almost perfect movies, in my opinion. Uh, but at the same time, there's other movies that imitate that super fun, campy style that don't land. Personally, for me, uh, I'm talking to you, Venom. Uh, that movie was awful. Uh, but it's these kind of movies where everyone is like, yeah, it was a fun, silly movie. But where does it 
become a fun, silly, good comic book movie or a fun, silly, bad comic book movie? It's, it's a difficult question. I don't know what you have thoughts on that, Ed. Well, I mean, but that that's that's why this is the perfect storm of bad. Because mm. great directors have problems with tone. Mm. Tone is the hardest part. You, Everybody knows that camera nerd who knows all the damn lenses and stuff and can't direct a scene worth a damn. Because you don't know how human beings are, you don't know how to relate to anybody, and you don't know how to communicate what your overall vision is, right? So that's most young directors, period. A lot of them are either technical or they're theatrical or whatever, you know, that they can speak the theater language of acting or whatever, but don't know, you know, a gaffer from a grip from a whatever. And I kind of think the the latter works better, because if you think about it, David S. Gorey, I don't know what he's masterful at. The, the tone as far as people talking to each other is bad. Everybody's interpersonal relationships are unconvincing. Uh, he doesn't communicate that this is supposed to be a joke. I, you know what I mean? It just. It's all bad. It's a perfect storm of bad. It's so hard to do tone. We've all seen great directors try a tone that they're not familiar with and fail. So this is a basically second. I think he's a second or third time director on this. I think he directed a movie called Zigzag, which is a very small crime movie. That was actually quite good. It, it was kind of arresting for what it was. It was a very small little movie. But this was his first foray into, yeah, I got my big boy pants on. And he crapped them. Hardcore. Yeah. Uh, RB3, any final thoughts on Blade Trinity before we move on? Nah, I mean, I, 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 again, this is this is a different Blade. I, I, I honestly, again, I, you know, it, it's funny because I'm, I'm a little nostalgic for this kind of era of action movies, honestly, mm-hmm. the early 2000s. Just something I grew up with, just the time period I was born. And, you know, the aesthetic, the constantly moving camera, the wild zooms, like... <laughs> Uh, the crazy, the crazy CGI, like the 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 even when they just have regular conversations, they're always just walking and talking, like they're never just standing still. It's always just that that energy, that momentum. Even though it's you know it's kind of bad and it kind of makes no sense, I, I I kind of appreciate it on that level. So um, again, like salute to Blade Three, Blade Trinity. Um, actually, all three of these movies are on HBO Max. Yeah. Like you have to kind of dig for for Blade Trinity. Like I, 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 <laughs> I literally when I typed in Blade, it, all I had to do was type in B L A and then boom, Blade One, Blade Two, right there. I literally have to type in Blade T R I before Blade <laughs> came out. It was insane. okay. See, HBO Max dissed it harder than I ever could have. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it made no sense. Yeah, I swear they were hard to find in general. Uh, I was talking to Sabrina in RB3 earlier today about finding these movies, and I told them it was on HBO Max. But yeah, it was on Netflix beforehand. Uh, mm-hmm. These are the movies that I introduced to my buddies, uh, specifically uh, Blade 2. For anyone who doesn't know, I was on the Collider uh, Top 50 comic book movies, and I had like a five-minute segment on Blade 2. And it's just me for five minutes. It was just me, and I think they cut up to like one other person, but it's just me ranting about the greatness (laughs) of Blade 2. But I love this movie. Uh, Speaking of proper cheese, uh, I think this one has like perfect amount of like uh, winking at the camera, I guess, uh, as far as what kind of movie it is, but at the same time having some really cool emotional scenes. Yeah. Um, Guillermo del Toro is obviously a, a, a much uh, more veteran director, a better director um, than possibly David S. Goyer is. Uh, yeah, I love this movie. I'm going to rant about it, but I'm going to toss it to you guys first. Uh, Sabrina, what are your thoughts on Blade 2? That was a film that I really, really enjoyed as a kid. I went through... Um 
kind of discovering Guillermo del Toro phase, so with like Pan's Labyrinth and then this one as well. And I own the trilogy on Blu-ray. And when I go to rewatch it, I typically watch the first and the second. And I I love them both and I always go back and forth on which one I love the best. And right now I'm gonna stick with the second just because of how incredible it is visually, tonally. It really does show Guillermo del Toro is is that director. He is so incredible. He's so knowledgeable. He just knows what he's doing. And the fact that he can kind of go in all these different directions and he can take something like this when the first one was great and make it a little bit his own, but still stick with the same. Like you can watch the first and second and they make sense together. It's just something incredible. So I really, really enjoy this one. Yeah, it's interesting because you have a lot of Del Toro signatures in there mm -hmm. with the creature effects specifically. Yeah. Um, with the uber vamps creature effects um you have it with the 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 obviously ron perlman's character is just another ron perlman character from another del toro movie uh which is perfect uh and just all the little little nods towards the del toro style of tonally making some comedic moments inside a very dark uh type movie like a pacific rim for example uh, where he does that quite a bit. But RB3, what are your memories of Blade 2? Um, yeah, Blade 2 was one of the crazier ones, I remember. Um, you know, I think it's the same thing for me, like, with Back to the Future Part 1 versus Back to the Future Part 2 when I was a kid. Like, you know, like, even though, like, you could kind of see that Back to the Future Part 1 is, like, a better movie, you have more fun with Back to the Future Part 2 because there's, like, more fun moments in it. Like, there's more, like, the future stuff, the the Nikes, all that kind of stuff. That's the same thing with Blade 2. There's more, like, just cool, fun, like, moments in it than that you could just be like, oh, that's, like, really cool and fun. Like, when he's getting his feet, face eaten off, when, you know, all that kind of stuff. It's just all these, like, freaky, weird moments that just happen, like, throughout this movie. You're just like, oh, that's cool. But it comes, like, directly from, like you said, that, that Guillermo del Toroism. It's, like, it's very, it's very distinct in, in the way like it's all him and you you look at where it's placed inside of Guillermo del Toro's like filmography like he had like a few art house films like he did in Mexico like in the um late 90s and then he did Blade 2 and then he did Hellboy and then he did Pan's Labyrinth like he it's like he almost went on like this divergence he had like this art house beginning and then went and diverged into mainstream blockbusters and then went back into our house and he just goes like back and forth um into it but i think if you ask Guillermo del toro he wouldn't see any difference in anything that he's making he'd just see it all as like his own weird art um creature uh, uh movies and i think that's just really what's unique about it um i i do i do think it was a little weird seeing like the CGI uh, replacement for uh, for 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 some of the actors. It came out right after the Matrix, so they did a lot of that. Like, we'll have somebody running, and then they'll cut to the CGI version of them running and doing like a weird flip or whatever. Had a little of that. I don't know how I felt about that, but otherwise, it's a really <laughs> fun movie for sure. Uh, Ed, what are your memories from uh, Play Two? I mean, I, I I don't know. I don't want to be a negative person, but like the thing about Blade Two to me. The only negative parts of the whole movie are the CGI replacements. I, I remember the look at see it in your mind the scene where Nisa and Homeboy are breaking into Whistler and them's base and they're up in the rafters doing flips. 
Mm-hmm. It's the worst. <laughs> it's but but again, it's pioneering. You know what I'm saying? I ain't mad at Daniel Boone for not having the proper socks on or whatever. You know what I mean? It's like it's it's hard out here. You know, so I I get it. But at the same time, it was like super unconvincing. And then they put it up against those lights. So it was like super lit as to how bad it was. It's like keep it in the dark, dummy. What are you doing? Mm-hmm. But other than that, guilt. Obviously, Del Toro was a beast. Obviously, uh, the 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 production design stepped up from the first one to me. The first one was very much the same sort of like I got I got fifty million dollars. Uh, type of movie like how like the first John Wick was you know it's like we don't even got enough money to do squibs dog when I shoot you it's some CGI mist gonna come out just the, the you know so it's like those type of movies we that we've we learned to love these days like John Wick is killing them as 50 70 80 million dollar CGI replacement no squib movies we're loving these but like Blade uh, Blade 2 or and Blade 1 is more like that but Blade 2 is 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 almost like you gave uh, the guys who did John Wick uh, an art house guy that they had to bow to every time. <laughs> the, every time you got to make a decision, ask this guy. He's like, "Oh, I believe uh, it should be more slimy." Ah, damn. Okay, put some more slime on it. Make the jaws come apart more weird. Do something. You know what I mean? It's almost like you got Chad Sahelski, great action director, but with this weirdo next to him that he has to like now nah, make it more weird. Yeah. And and that's what's so great about this movie. You you. If you turn on a frame of Blade Two, you know you're in Blade Two. Yeah. I've ne- you could you could do the Pepsi Challenge versus any other movie ever. Really, it's got its own tone, its own scenery, its own feel, its own production design, its own lighting. It's its own thing, man. Yeah, and I love the world building that Del Toro does in this one, as far as expanding the story uh, when it comes to the world of the vampires. Where in the first one we see the Council, we learn what they are, the relationship they have with humans or humanity. Uh, and then we get to see one of the leaders of the vampire, the Overlord. Um, and then we meet the Blood Pack, a, a, a Suicide Squad type uh, team uh, designated for killing uh, Blade. It, it's this world expansion type thing that I'm a massive fan of because of, obviously of my anime connection, but also of my vampire connection, which um, is probably my forte. Uh, I swear to you, I could talk to you at, like almost every detail about vampirism. And just like what, what, with the weaknesses, the strengths, just every adaptation has their own rules, but they follow the same basic guideline, um, which is kind of what Del Toro did in this one. But to me, nothing tops the idea of Blade having to work with the vampires, uh, the same people that he's been hunting and that he hates so much, uh, in order to stop a bigger threat. I just think that's such a genius idea. And then obviously, uh, the martial arts. Uh, the the connection he has with Nisa is so cool, but nothing tops slow mo, uh, blood pack walking into frame with Mo Steph in the background. <laughs> that to me is like peak. Like that's at me as a kid watching that. I was like, bro, I love Mo Steph. I love vampires. This is it. It's all coming together. Just slowly walking into frame. I yeah, uh, I yeah, I yeah gets I yeah, that's yeah. so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> that was peak for me. I was like, yo, this is it. This is the movie. Oh. And can, uh, can I can I say one thing? Yeah. Um the thing that is also uh, the thing that makes this movie stand out amongst all to me is I do believe it was the very, very first superhero action movie that was satisfactory on any level. 
And what I mean is, it isn't Superman lifting something. It isn't Superman versus Nuclear Man on some stage. you know what I'm saying, on wires. It's literally the kinetic power of, I weigh 200 pounds, you weigh 200 pounds, but both of us can bench press about 10 tons under optimal conditions. So now we're going to fight. When I punch your 200-pound ass with my 10, well, how, maybe, maybe 23 tons of force generated, you're going to fly your 200-pound ass the way the hell over there. And I'm going to run up this wall and drop a people's elbow, Randy Macho, <laughs> Randy Macho Man Savage. You know what I'm saying? I'm going to do a, you know, I'm going to do one yeah. of these super fly snookers on your ass from a football field away because I, again, I weigh 200 pounds. I can bench press 10 tons. So my legs can push 200 pounds way into the air and slam onto you. All these things were yes. happening in that movie. And I had never seen that before that movie really obviously you know we're looking at the matrix and then you're just on the heels of the matrix but obviously no nothing beats the matrix on the 1999 level but i think didn't blade 2 come out in like 1998 i think uh, no i think blade 2 was 2002 i think yeah and then blade 1 was 98 98 yeah so the bottom line is so it's like yeah you're trailing the matrix but that kinetic power I put that up against the first. The, the first Matrix is great, but I put the kinetic power of those Nomad Blade fights against a lot of the stuff yeah. in the Matrix. Yeah, 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 and a lot of credit to to Wesley Snipes uh, doing a lot of his own fight scenes uh, for the most part. Uh, I, I want to talk about this angle to it, uh, RB three, and I'll toss it to you. Um, I don't know who, who tweeted this, but I found it so interesting. Rewatching the Blade movies, you start to see this through line of this. Uh, commentary on this upper society uh, who holds all the power, who holds all the money, who treat humans uh, beneath them as their own blood bag, as food. Uh, and, it, and it has this, uh, their only villain is this martial artist black man who can kill them all in the blink of an eye uh, going up against this Eastern European super white uh, uh, oligarchy power of the corporate power of of all the systems that they have. They literally say in the first movie that the cops are bought uh, by the vampires. They're all bought from the uh, by the vampires. Uh, they're all familiars. Uh, and their only enemy is this powerful black man who's literally fighting uh, the underworld system that is devastating humanity. And, I, and as soon as I read that, I was like, wow, it's never clicked in me. I've seen these movies hundreds of times, but that is some some really significant commentary. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's great. I, you know, you, you piece that together in that way. I mean, I never really made that connection either. But yeah, that's that's what that story is, essentially. And, um, you know, it, it speaks to, you know, that's really what the structure of like black exploitation was like back in the days. Like literally it was all about the the the, the, the solo black man or woman um fighting against an entire oppressive like upper class system um you know but in in those movies you know the white people were or the man was you know a substitution for like the the systemic problems that you know black people are facing in general and this this kind of highlights that too i mean that's that's interesting um what to think about it. i think even blade 2 emphasizes that by having the little uh illuminati like suicide squad yeah that by another black dude um you know, so it's like, it's, it, it, yeah, I think that's that just all plays into it for sure. Yeah, and then the idea of familiars uh, being almost a tool uh, of these people because they submit to the uh, power that the vampires have as well. Uh, Sabrina, any thoughts on that? 
Yeah, that's kind of what I mentioned um, earlier on in the episode, like rewatching these, especially now and seeing those kind of themes and that impact and how easy it is to consume, but it's still like really, really profound. And that's definitely give Blade so much credit for. And seeing, seeing this like R-rated, grounded, gritty action um, superhero film led by a Black actor about a Black character and seeing just like how great it is in all those different aspects and profound and the way it tackles everything. Like, well, re-watching the first one, I just had never really thought, because the last time I'd watched it, it had definitely been like over seven years ago. And then I saw like, yeah, the cops are in on this. We have the scene, um, well, we'll get we'll get into it when we talk about Blade One, but we have the scene where that really does um, kind of get into effect and like, it really shows us. So it just says a lot in a very like accessible way. Yeah, and obviously, the, the fact that, you know, when he meets the blood pack and he meets Reinhardt, uh, and I think the other <laughs> guys are all German homies as well. Lighthammer, uh, Valine, uh, Chupa. I think the only one is, is um, uh, Snowman who's not, but, but the idea of him, he even calls him Adolf uh, in that scene mm. uh, of him literally. Hey, that's the meaning of podcast right there, man. You, you taking the deep dive into this, right? Like, I, I mean, I have, I mean, it's movie. right there to be fair. Well, it's yeah. right there. Oh yeah. And the, the scene about like, uh, can you blush, you yep. know, asking the black dude, can you blush? Like, what, yeah. you know, and, uh, and then he even, he recalls it back when he kills him at the end. He's just like, ah, oh, can you blush? Motherfucker. Oh, yeah. yeah. And he kills him. It's yeah. so, <laughs> so funny, man. Yeah. But, but yeah. what are your thoughts on that, Ed? Well, no, I mean, it's definitely there. Uh, when, when I was on TV doing stand-up for the New Negroes, it was part of my set that, uh, and you can edit this out if you want, but it was I was like, uh, Blade is a civil rights hero. Never before had I seen someone so black kill so many people so white and not get in trouble. Like, <laughs> like, like this yeah. dude is a hero, man. It's, it goes like MLK, Blade, other people. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I love Blade. You know what I'm saying? So it's like uh, uh, I, I get it that uh, that that's part of it, but it's also this thing of um, well, you want to get deep into the system talk. Let's get let's get deep into the system talk. He is the only, he is the very. Um, definition of black exceptionalism or black excellence as it were because he is using their weapons against them they have a superior whatever the hell arcane mysticism powers about them he is subverting that and using against them we have a lot of people in real life who get access to the powers of the overculture and squander them and never try to fight the overall system never try to make any sort of equity blade is not that Blade is is the the pro athlete that that doesn't open up a check cash place. He opens up uh, a, a museum or a place for somebody to get a job or something. You know what I'm saying? He's he's helping the community with his access to these powers. So that that's one thing I drew from Blade is that Blade he could have just honestly he could have just played a bunch of night games in the NBA and made a bunch of money. He, he, he could he could have been a track star. He's not he's not a, he's not uh he's not gonna glisten in the daylight. He could have been anything. He's a badass dude who could have jumped into society and ignored the fact that he is the one who needs to take this responsibility, and he did not shirk that responsibility. So like that, you talk about the system. That's that's it right there. Yeah, and obviously his fight for humanity is kind of this idea of you know him fighting for his people and. Um, the fact that a lot of people don't even know about it um, because he does it in, a, in an underworld, uh, underground world. Um, uh, any final thoughts, uh, RB3? 
Yeah, no, I 100% agree. I mean, I think that's I think that's why again, a lot of black people and a lot of black audiences really connected to Blade on on a deep level and I think it really um I think it brought a lot of non-comic book fans into the idea of like, oh, these are really cool superheroes because even to this day, I mean, even our family members from my family don't even really know like these are like based on comic books. They're still like, "Oh, like these those old cartoons they're making in the movies now." You know, like <laughs> not even familiar with they're kind of outside of all this realm but like everybody knows blade um same way everybody now knows black panther you know what i mean so um there's just there's it's just that extra it's that extra level of being able to identify in a hero while also um making them accessible to not just a black audience like even i think if you even ask most people most people wouldn't even say blade is necessarily like a black movie but it is definitely pro-black for sure so yeah, I mean, it's it's interesting. Uh, I'll, I'll get a little personal myself. Just growing up watching these movies, obviously, I have the vampire connection and the martial arts connection, as I've said a million times. Hmm. Uh, but beside that, I had a I had a poster of Blade in my room. Uh, I, I will never forget that. And by poster, I mean I cut out a magazine that had the poster. <laughs> <laughs> so it's literally just a piece of paper on my wall but but i loved blade like to me blade was the epitome of of coolness of badassness um the idea of taking my black on black aesthetic the gothic aesthetic but him being just this powerful black martial artist at the same time mm. and he's a vampire uh just added so much to me so me even being a fan of blade i, I told winston when he was on the show i was like i wanted to be blade um that was like my whole goal like he had a freaking katana bro like it's over uh so so to me the epitome of that and the idea of that of of having that kind of representation in the forefront and him being the leader and the antagonist to the vampires uh is always going to be a powerful message within itself and it's something that i wish more people paid attention to um because when they talk about blade they talk more about kind of the outside factors and they forget like this is about a black man who's literally fighting the most powerful institution in the world mm -hmm. uh and he's going up against them people who feed on humanity so to me i was like this it's clearly there you know mm -hmm. so. no and, and never forget that wesley was trying to get black panther made for yeah. about 12 damn years yeah. and yeah. they just weren't feeling that but then he was like all right cool 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 well can i do this little kung fu vampire movie oh yeah go ahead and it had all the messages you could ever want from a 1999 or 1998 Black Panther movie. You know, whatever you were going to get from a 1998 Black Panther movie, you certainly got in, in spades uh, with Blade. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, Alrighty, guys, we're going to go to a break. After the break, we're going to get into the first Blade, the one that started it all. So make sure you guys stick around. This ain't funny, so don't you dare laugh With the 450 divide you in half You getting at me equals a club half You do the math, take you out the equation This ain't funny, so don't you dare Check out our review of the new Netflix movie, The Old Guard Available exclusively on First Cut Enjoy! And there's an element to this movie which, I don't know, I didn't watch the trailers I don't know what Netflix revealed or what they didn't reveal but there's an aspect to this movie that kind of happens at that point that you mentioned where I was like, oh, they went that direction? Oh, this is totally something different than just a normal action movie. It's like yes. something totally different. And because I, it starts I, out so grounded. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You really think it's another one like Extraction or like yeah. a, a, basically a generic 
um, Netflix action movie, but then something happens in the first 15, 20 minutes, and you're just like, oh, this is totally different than I thought it was going to be. I think we should say it just because I feel like the conversation would stop now if we don't say it. Um, But as soon as they brought in the immortality approach of it all, Mm -hmm. you you guys have no idea how in I was. Like, I was so in, I just kept going down. Mm -hmm. Like, I was deep in it um, because that is my my speciality uh to quote my boy obi-wan kenobi uh because i'm a vampire export expert check out our new website on geeksofcolor.co slash first dash cut to check out our reviews our videos and articles that pertain to everything first cut related check it out come along children now we're going to have a little music What's up, guys? We're back talking about Blade. Now let's get into the first one, the one that I said started it all, but it kind of did. Uh, 1998's uh, Blade, uh, starting with the Blood Rave, one of the most iconic opening intros of any comic book movie, in my opinion. Um, what are the... Uh, I don't know, man. This one's different. Obviously, a lot of people have a lot of fond memories of the second Blade, but a lot of people consider the first Blade to be the superior film. Uh, are you in that boat, Sabrina? I, I said before, I kind of go back and forth. I guess it just depends what mood I'm in. Because this one definitely is, it really, because this one definitely is more of like a straightforward, really great action film. It's packed with so much. Um, and then, you know, with the second one, we already talked about that. It's a little bit more like, it adds those Guillermo del Toro's like visuals and everything like that. And that makes that one really interesting. But I think if I were to show this to, if I were to show Blade to somebody who hadn't seen it before, this is the, and they only could watch one, this would be it. Because for an origin film, like RB3 kind of mentioned before, it sets up the world building and it sets up so much, but it doesn't go into too much detail about all this other stuff that doesn't really matter. It just shows you, you know, this is happening and it immerses us in right away. And I just really, really enjoy this one. So it's always back and forth, but I, I love this one. Yeah, obviously this one had the job of introducing the character of Blade, mm-hmm. explaining who he is, what he has, what's his origin, uh, as far as his mother being bitten by a vampire. Um, yeah. And it also has to build up the uh, vampire world that they're building, as far as the idea of familiars, of uh, council, uh, and obviously Deacon Frost kind of throwing a wrench into that whole thing. But uh, what, are your, uh, what are your thoughts on the first Blade, uh, RB3? Um, absolutely love the first blade. Um, I definitely, again, <clears throat> just coming off this immediate binge, I I, I do uh, kind of definitively conclude that Blade One is probably my favorite out of the uh, out of the trilogy. Um, that I think is the most. It, it it definitely feels the most like of his own breed uh, to to a certain extent. I think it's definitely like. It takes a lot of elements from a lot of genres that I uh, love in particular. Like, it, it feels very neo-noirish. It feels very, like, thriller-ish. It feels very... But at the same time, it takes a lot from, like, the fantasy aesthetic and the uh, the mythology. And whereas I think Blade Two definitely gets a lot more into, the, like, the mythology and a lot more into, like, the details and the syndicates and the structures of, of, of the vampire society... This one keeps it relatively simple with just like, oh, he he was born from um, a mother from, who was bit by a vampire and he has these powers and that's it. And then he's killing vampires. And that's pretty much all they kept it to. They kept it to 
be simple enough to where you cared enough about the character and his journey um, along the way. So I, I really enjoy Blade One. It's, it's 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 really great for me. Yeah, and obviously rewatching this one, what's interesting about it, obviously what stands out is Wesley Snipes and the way he embodies the character, uh, specifically the burden that he has to carry. Right, this isn't some happy-go-lucky, quippy kind of guy. This is a very brooding type character because of this burden that he carries with him. But, uh, but Ed, what is it that, that stands out the most in this movie for you? Um, well, I said before that I met, um, I met David S. Goyer. That's right. And it was at like an arc light showing of something. It might've been even the first, it might've been like Man of Steel or something weird. You know what I'm saying? I don't think it was related to Blade. But I went up to him and I talked to him about Blade and how much it meant to me and all the real fanboy dork stuff. And uh, and I think I even had a screenplay with me and I tried to like slip it to him because I was like, you know what? You don't ask, you don't get. And then I almost got escorted the hell out of there. No, I wasn't. But, you know, he was he was nice and he was just like, yo, man, if I read your stuff and then I come up with something dope like it later, then all of a sudden you can sue me. And I'm nah, man. But uh, I'm, I'm, I admire your grift or rather your grift. I admire your, your hustle. And uh, just to keep doing your thing, and it really kind of helped me. And I talked, but I talked to him. I think he talked to me so long uh, because I was blocking the door. No, he talked to me so long because I think I told him specific things I liked about the script that I noticed from the different drafts that I was able to find. And this is like the early days, you know. And so one of the things I always noted in the screenplay was Blade kills like fifty people. <laughs> And then he's gonna go do some stuff. Uh, he, it's in the it's in the, it's that scene after after the bloodbath, and he's about to step on a roach, and he doesn't. He uh. moves his foot away from the roach. Roaches are more valuable to the world than vampires. Roaches deserve more respect than vampires. Roaches are more sanctified creatures than vampires. To blade. And I just thought that, that that's showing, not telling. You want to talk about this show, don't tell. That's show, don't tell. And I love the fact that, like, um, you talk about it being sort of a... The one thing that made it sort of black was, if you notice, when he has to go get certain aspects to make his serum, he goes to the, to the head shop. He goes to the black, you know, probably Ethiopian, Nigerian, whatever, head shop and gets the stuff. You know what I'm saying? Gets the proper herbs, you know. And uh, I, I love that. It's a nice little subtle, like, hey, some, you know, maybe we have something that could deal with these vampires that the overculture ignores. You know what I'm saying? Because they're so inured to it. And as Sabrina was talking about earlier, when that motherfucking cop shows up <laughs> and he's supposed to be comforting our heroine, but he's skeevy. There's something skeevy about him. How did he show up? How did he even know to even be in here? Ah. And you and you see that he is a vampire's familiar, and it's like that that articulated so many thoughts that so many black people have had about cops. <laughs> you know, before before there was videotapes, there was the oral history of get your ass beat for nothing, and yeah. having people uh, this whole concept that like I, I I did a tweet about the thing. Cops are there to protect rich people's stuff. Don't ever forget it. Don't ever forget it. That's what they're there for. And I'm not even dissing. I'm just stating that as a fact. And in this drum dramatization, they were showing that the people who control the overculture can control the cops. Thusly, legality is not the way to determine if something is moral. Yeah. 
Yeah, obviously there's so much in there in the first Blade, and I really commend it for being the first one to kind of make all these statements, create this aesthetic, create this world, um, make people like Deacon Frost the villain, uh, someone who's overstepping, someone who wants to rule the world, literally. Uh, it, it was something really interesting to me. Mm. And obviously Stephen Dorff is amazing in this role. I think he's amazing in this role. Uh, but but nothing... Mm -hmm. He did. Dude, no, that was he acted his ass off. Yeah. He gonna be five two trying to fight Wesley Snipes, and I'm gonna believe it. It's two great little man actors, <laughs> Stephen Dorff and Joe Pesci. They can make you believe they can whoop your ass. They gonna climb up yeah. you and whoop your ass if they have to. Yeah. And Stephen Dorff gonna be smoking on one of them yeah. e cigarettes while yeah. they whoop your ass. So you guys have seen uh, <laughs> uh, True Detective season three. I don't know if anyone has seen that. Uh, he's absolutely incredible. Uh, in that role as well. But yeah, that's totally spot on. And obviously he's playing this cocky, uh, confident, uh, technologically advanced uh, vampire because I like that he uses technology as his way to, to find superiority over the council. I think that's a cool little twist. Uh, but yeah, I, I think there's so much here in this movie that it really stands out as original when it comes to... You know what really stood out, and I think you you hit the nail on the head, Ed. That scene when when he meets with that with that uh, shop owner, and he gets that drug. Uh, that scene, uh, the fact that the the nurse or the the doctor is is a is a disease expert, I believe, um, and she's a black mm. hematologist. Yeah, she's a hematologist, and she's a black woman as well. Uh, and the fact that she has her own uh, staple, her own brain, her own attitude. Uh, I thought that those two things really stood out to me versus no shade to Blade Trinity, but I'm going to throw shade to Blade Trinity. The idea of Hannibal King and Jessica <laughs> Biel uh, being his two kind of, kind of uh, I don't know, white counterparts. It, it really made a difference to me to see those two uh, black actors representing a different role and having a role throughout the entire film. Uh, and not just being kind of on the side. I, I don't know if that stood out to you guys at all, but it did to me personally, because I think it matters. I really do, do think it does matter that that Blade is has other black people around him and he has other black supporting roles around him. Um, if anyone wants to jump in. Definitely. Well, on screen, seeing this like uh, smart, strong, like black woman just be down for the count absolutely immediately the second she's thrust into this she's like all right let's do this and she goes and she's helping him and her until the end for this film and so is all of that and i forgot who mentioned it earlier but like that whole like brooding aspect of blade throughout this film we're slowly seeing him kind of like suffer and really you know like he's getting injured and it's hurting and he's kind of going through all of this but at the same time as he's not people don't know about him people hear little whispers about him and that's it he doesn't get any credit it's not like oh superman and he's like coming down he chooses to go through all of this to help people because he knows it's what's right and that's just something that i really love to see on screen like I just love seeing this whole it's it's something that I felt similarly when I watched Logan and seeing him suffer seeing him slowly go through all of this it's the same one because it, it just you feel so much like when you're watching it you just understand his motives you know exactly what he's doing it for and it's not for praise it's not to it's not for any of that it's just because he knows it's what's right and yeah. i just and love I think seeing the that scene awesome. that nails that entire thing that you just said sabrina is when he's injecting that counter truck right 
and he's in so much pain and it, it looks like he's injecting like fire into his veins uh and he's he's almost about to scream in pain uh and whistler holds on to his hand uh almost to be like there with him to help him through the pain and you realize choosing not to become a bloodsucker essentially is so much harder where he could just give in and, and just start devouring people if he wanted to and he can justify that by saying i'm saving more than i'm eating right where he's like i i can eat just a little bit to save thousands uh but he never does and he refuses to ever uh, take a drop of blood uh, no matter what and he chooses to go through the pain uh, instead of just giving in easily to the thirst, which is so powerful inside of him, and it's actually in his DNA. Um, so that, to me, is very significant. Go ahead. Yeah. And and that scene also has Karen, the hematologist, where she's watching that happen from the side. She wakes up, she's kind of confused, and then she watches him go through that pain, and she's confused about everything that's going on. But I feel like that's when she realizes kind of what they're doing. Obviously, someone go through pain because of what he had just done so to see him be suffering for for the cause of helping people I feel like that's when she also realizes as a character and I so I think that's a really important scene it's it's one of my favorites yeah. in the whole uh, film. RB3 any thoughts on Blade yeah I mean just overall like like you said Ed, those those themes of uh police and and corruption and um, you know, this, I mean, there's just so many underlying things that you could take away from this, um, movie that I think really, again, it distinguishes it and, and sets it apart from, I think, in any other, um, major comic book movie, especially at that time. But I think more importantly, I think it, it redefined a lot of the ways we thought of, uh, superhero movies and the way we thought about action in, in a lot of these movies. I mean, this is a hard R um, which I think is really kind of cool and kind of stands out nowadays. We have debates all the time of, oh, should a, movie, a superhero movie be R-rated or PG-13? Like, is it too much? Is it too little? But this movie kind of unabashedly fits into its own vein, and it cares much more about being a good movie than it does care about being a good comic book adaptation. And I think for that, I think that's the model that I think uh, a lot a lot more comic book movies, at least now, should yeah, aspire to be. Yeah, just because so. you brought that up, RB3, let's talk about the future of Blade. And obviously, Mahershala Ali's movie is the one we kind of go to. But again, exactly a year ago, I will never forget Kevin Feige uh, reacting to a, a person in the crowd who yelled out, Make it R! Or make it rated R! Uh, and he quickly responded and snapped at that person. And he's like, no, it's going to be PG-13 and you're going to like it. Um, and a lot of people took that as a joke. But I was like, this guy's dead serious. Uh, I do think it's going to be PG-13. I don't think any uh, MCU movie, even if it's Deadpool, uh, is going to be rated R because of that staple that they have. And to be honest, as a massive Blade fan... Uh, Blade in, in, in uh, Blade in the anime. I don't know if you guys have seen the Blade anime uh, and, and some of the other comics as well. They've kind of turned into like, this is vampires, bro. There's going to be a lot of blood. It's going to be rated R. I don't know how I feel about it, if I'm being honest. I don't know if I'm... Obviously, Mahershala Ali is one of my favorite actors, like literally working today. But at the same time, I'm not sure how to feel about it. And I want to ask you guys how you feel about um, the future of this character, Sabrina. Well, I think it's going to, if it's not rated R, I just feel like I, it loses a lot. Not everything has to be rated R, but I want to see this one just because it is so gritty. It is so dirty. 
And it's supposed to be that way. It should be that way. That's that's the exact style that feels like it's it's made for something like Blade. So I just I I hope that's not the I I believe that that's going to be the case, but I hope not. I would hope that they would go R because you watch these films and that you mentioned early on when we started talking about the first one that opening scene, the rave scene, and just how it's just bloody. It's the second one's gruesome, pretty pretty gory, and. I want to see that from a Blade film. I don't want to see like they stab and it's just that they fall. I don't. I don't want to see any of that kind of stuff where they dance around the violence. Like I want to see the violence. Uh, Ed, in this any type thoughts? Of film. Uh, I think I do agree with you guys that it's it's very important that we retain the 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 blood and the the horror aspects of it. But hearkening back to a time like when I remember when I was a kid, I watched the original um, Jurassic Park in the theater. And obviously I was a kid. Uh, if I was, you know, 35, I don't think I would be scared of that movie in the same way. But it was tense, man. That was a tense ass movie, dude. When you really just give it its due and, and let yourself be enveloped by it, it's very tense at, at PG thirteen, and it very much feels like anybody could die besides maybe the kids. And then they start chasing the kids, like y'all better get out the kitchen, <laughs> you know. It's it's very much a movie that feels like it's gonna do anything at any time, but it isn't. It's Steven Spielberg at the top of its craft, knowing he's not gonna do any of that stuff, but it makes you feel like it so i think with the proper filmmaking it could have a little bit of that but obviously you're right it wouldn't be a horror it'd be more action you know i think they're going to go in the action realm yeah I, I don't know I, I just have i don't think it's even the pg-13 uh pg-13 thing for me i think it's more the mcu thing for me if that makes any sense where mm. you have to no matter how different an mcu movie can be fit a certain type of mold and you can play with the mold a little bit you can shift it different ways but it still has to have that centerpiece mold and i don't know if i'm being honest when i first heard the announcement of the new blade i was hoping that they would say oh we're gonna make a separate this is separate from the mcu i would prefer that to be honest than have tom hall and be like gee blade you sure kill a lot of vampires. Like, uh, I don't like that to me would just take me out of <laughs> so much. No offense to Tom Holland, but to me, it just doesn't. I don't know, RB3. Tell me I'm wrong. Yeah, It doesn't mesh. It doesn't. It doesn't, it doesn't really make a lot of sense. I mean, I don't think we're ever going to see Blade cross over like the Avengers or anything like that. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. I think if anything is going to be just like those Netflix uh, TV shows that they had that was just violent enough to where it wasn't it was a little gritty for tv but wasn't it was definitely still a pg-13 so i think they're definitely going to try and go on that level still make it intense make the sound effects really loud but no blood no you know what i mean like they're probably gonna do something like that but again i i i think i think the property is suited for rated r but again like like i said if it comes down to the right filmmaker if they have like I don't know, David Fincher or something doing it. Like, I'm sure he'll figure out a way to make it, um, you know, feel tense at a PG-13. Again, David Fincher would never do a, a movie like this, for sure. But I'm just saying, if they got somebody <laughs> at that level, or or maybe even your boy, uh, Andres uh, Fetty oh. Alvarez, you know what I mean? Like, um, mm -hmm. he, 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 he might be able to make a really suspenseful um, PG-13 uh, uh, Blade movie from the MCU, but you, you never know. Um, I'm really excited to see it either way, and I'm, I'm excited. I'm stoked to see... Oh. 
Mershal Ali, who I think is really he the is. GOAT right now. Already has acting, two Oscars, so. man. I, I mean, yeah, yeah that's yeah. my thing. I'll, I'll finish up on that. Your guys' thoughts on Mahershala lot playing the role. I always think it's kind of funny who it's a vampire, so he's supposed to be like at least slightly immortal. Um, but they pick Mahershala, who I think is like 50 something. Uh, so, like, is he? He's, he's late 40. Okay. Yeah. I thought he was 50 something. Yeah, yeah. Well, like late 40s, but like, it's yeah. Still, it's still, yeah. I was like, <laughs> okay, I'll, I'll take it. We're going to get uh, 10 Blade movies. Uh, and homeboy is gonna be seventy. Um, I'll take it. But, but I, if it's that caliber of an actor, I'll take it. If I'm being honest. But yeah, Mahershala Ali, are you guys on board? Okay, forty-six. 46. I'm a hundred percent on board. I mean, like you guys said, I definitely think he's the best working actor today. Every time he's in something, I think he can do anything. So obviously, we haven't seen anything uh, like to this caliber, but, um, I'm expecting it to be great, especially if it's like an MCU type of film. Um, I think he's going to fit in very, very well with whatever plans they have going forward, how they're going to mesh that into it. Hopefully not with that whole Tom Holland thing that yeah. you just did. <laughs> um, hopefully nothing like that, but I really do think that he can also, he, I, something that I've noticed like a little bit with his acting, he has just more of that like soft-spoken kind of presence. So I feel like, I, but I feel like he'll definitely be able to bring out that commanding, that cool, everything that we're looking for in Blade, I think he'll definitely be able to do it. Yeah. Ed, any final thoughts mm -hmm. on the future of Blade? Uh, well, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty encompassing question, Andres. I could talk about, I, I could talk about Blade forever. Um, one thing I would like for us to maybe give a little time to sure. for a second is like, who do we think would be the actual filmmaker? Because I think that's interesting. Mm. I, I agree with everything you guys said about Mahershala, so I don't want to, yeah, I don't want to add to that. I can't say it better than that. But as far as the filmmakers that might be entrusted with something like this, I was thinking, and obviously we can't get him, and obviously he's the hottest thing ever. But somebody like, oh, okay, how about this? Somebody like Nia DaCosta who just did that Candyman, or somebody like Jordan Peele, or somebody that that's trying to do things like Jordan Peele, i.e., what you were talking about, Andres, that thing about the 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 I don't want to say minutia, the vast history mythology. Yeah. Of vampires look at what he was able to do with the frankly not making no damn sense mythology of us and the and the chillingly well thought out mythology that he posited and get out the mm. simple quiet ways he showed you that this is a time old tradition uh you know the get out stuff goes back to the night to the templar like the people in Get Out who are selling people and doing all this stuff, they go back to the Knights of the Templar. When they're doing that 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 bidding, they're bidding artifacts, like Arcs of the Covenant. They're bidding like, oh, I'll bid 10 Arcs of the Covenant for this Negro so I could jump in his body and pleasure my woman or whatever. You know what I'm saying? Like right. they're, 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 that's how they're, that's what they're paying for. So it's not money. It's that type of stuff because that's how far back this goes. And I'm just saying that that sort of deep mythology that you felt in your bones, even if you didn't see it on screen or know it at the time, that's what Blade needs more than a guy who can action direct like Chad Sahelski or whatever. You need somebody that makes me believe that in a world of Captain Marvels and stuff, I still need to give a shit about vampires. Yeah. Yeah. Obviously, you don't have to sell me, man. Jordan Peele, I've said it a million times before. He's my favorite current, current working filmmaker. Uh, and I know he only has two films to build, but... We've done like dozens, not dozens, but we've done a few videos on Peel uh, and, and on us. We did an entire video on the world building of us and how incredibly well done it is. 
Uh, and Nia the Cost is another great choice. My God, like so, uh, that. Those are two perfect choices. I don't know if anyone else has any others. Yeah, I absolutely love Little Woods, and I'm really looking forward to Candyman. Mm. Um, and so I, I think that would be absolutely all. I, it's something that I didn't really even think about until you said it. And the second you said it, I'm like, I could see that. That would be incredible if they could get her to do this film. But also, because you know how these big studios have problems working with directors sometimes, I would really, if you get a director like Jordan Peele or like Nia DaCosta, I want them to be able to make the film that they want to make 100%. I don't want a lot of that studio interference with something like this. I want to be able to see their voice, their vision shine through. Whoever the screenwriter is, whether it be Nia DaCosta, whether it be Jordan Peele directing like their own um, screenplay, I want that. I want to see that. If it's something that they're going to meddle with, they can't have that talent. They don't deserve it. <laughs> uh, I, I definitely, I definitely think when, when talking about a movie, uh, especially like with Blade, um, I think somebody ha having like a black director would be like really, really crucial. Um, I think having somebody like Nia DaCosta would be, would be a genuine pick. I think having um, Rick Famiguwa, uh, someone who, mm -hmm. who's been in the Disney family before, did, did some mm -hmm. episodes of Mandalorian and um, all that kind of stuff. I think he'll also be a, a pretty good candidate as well. Um, Antoine Fuqua is probably another veteran director. I don't know what direction they'll go in because, you know, sometimes they show that they like going with, uh, you know, newcomers. and then But you're seeing with, like, uh, uh, Doctor Strange 2, they're totally cool of going back to some veterans like Sam Raimi or whatever, so... Um, either or, I mean, I know Jordan, P I guess they asked Jordan Pill about if he wanted to do it and he said he had other commitments or oh, something really? like that. So he would be a, a kind of like the perfect and ideal choice for it. Um, unfortunately, I, you know, I, it doesn't look like that'd be able to work out, but you know, that, that is, that is having your mind in like the right direction, like going after somebody who's like young, who's fresh and who understands like the importance of, um, the character and what he means to like uh, the black community and, 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 and society in general. Right. So. And I, I would even take also uh, a hero Mirai, who I, I think I'm saying his name oh, right. Yeah. Probably not. Uh, he, he worked with uh, uh, Donald Glover and them on basically directing all of Atlanta yeah. more or less and establishing the look of Atlanta, which is a real world, but you know, the wings are glowing <laughs> a real world, but there's an invisible car, a real world, but Teddy Perkins exists that little twist that vampires put on reality, I think he could very much um, accomplish. So somebody like him, or even my man Craig Brewer, I love Craig Brewer. Craig Brewer did Hustle and Flow. Craig Brewer did Dolomite is my name. I would love to. I would just love to have for people like that to be in the room. When on rebooted, we always try to cast it somewhat and put the director that we think was going to do the reboot uh, in our minds or whatever. But really, it's about getting a nice diverse in all senses of the word, set of people in the room and deciding amongst them yes. who you'd like. You know, So I think if they do something like that, I think Blade will certainly succeed. And it's in, I think it's in good hands, man. Yeah, I, I'm hopeful for it. Obviously, when they announced that, that was one of the movies that didn't have a date on it, and that was last year. Uh, so get ready for Blade in 2030, guys. 2032. <laughs> Well into his 50s. Yeah, he's going to be 62-year-old <laughs> um, I mean, Marvel is really banking on the black don't crack of it. <laughs> they, they really are. Yes. Yeah, they're like, ah, oh, he can play an immortal. Of course he can. <laughs> uh, no, that's my thing is like, I hope we get to see this movie. Obviously, today we had a lot of announcements as far as movies that got canceled, moved, movies that might not come out. Um, so the movie industry is definitely up 
it, you know, who knows what's going to happen to it. But uh, but I hope that one blade comes out. It's going to be a, a great filmmaker uh, and a great story behind it. So uh, either way, guys, that was our episode on Blade. Uh, thank you so much, Ed Gray, for being here, man. We appreciate you. Oh man, thank you guys so much for having me on. It's it's uh again, like I said, I've been, I've admired you guys from afar. Thank <laughs> from, you. From afar. <laughs> yeah, I've, <laughs> I've admired you guys uh and what you're doing. I really like the fact that I mean people like you guys are talking about film and this and with this depth because it really lets people know that like we see you. You dig? You know what I'm saying? When we, you see the the weird sacrificial black character, the magical Negro, the magical uh, let let the, let the next person. You know what I'm saying? The magical just oh here here come the here come the Native American that lead us over here and then step to the side while we use our white heroism to do everything. When you notice stuff like that and you talk about it and we get it into the zeitgeist, maybe in the future they won't be trying to pull that stuff so much. Maybe in the future we can we can influence these studios to have people like us in the room so that they, some of these crimes, frankly, don't happen anymore or, or, they're, or they're lessened, you know. And it isn't about taking over anything or taking anything away from anybody. It's about finally sharing some of the covers. We over here cold as hell. Share some of the covers. You know what I'm saying? Share some of this industry. Don't why why do we have to be so excellent all the time and espouse every virtue you want? We have to be excellent storytellers and espouse every virtue the overculture wants to, to achieve a lot of success. Why does it have to be that way? Why can't we be ourselves and do our, do us and why don't you figure out a way to make money off my black militancy? You figure out a way to make money off my black militancy. Let me do my thing. You know, so you guys are really instrumental. I don't know if you guys know this, but you're instrumental in fostering that sort of culture that will in the future when me and RGB, uh, you know, RB3 are doing movies. This is what's happening when you guys are doing your flicks that you're going to have fostered the environment that's going to be paying you in the future. That's what you guys are doing. You guys are laying track for you to make your projects, your bigger projects in the future and have an audience for them. This is great, guys. It's yeah. really good. Thank you, um, man. So Thank much. You. Yeah, we really do appreciate that. And yeah, that's always our, our I mean, obviously, if, whether we have a tiny audience or whether we have a big audience, uh, I don't think that's ever going to change is, is our uh, thoughts, our, our ability to uh, shine a light on different storytellers and different characters and different people. And uh, especially inside this nerd world that has so much control over the Hollywood industry, frankly, mm -hmm these are the most important movies right now as far as money, as mm -hmm. far as production, as far as jobs. Um, so we definitely want to make sure uh, the stories they tell reflect uh, society and reflect us and reflect the lesser people. Um, so thank you so much for those kind of words, man. We really do appreciate it. Uh, where can everyone find you, man? Uh, you can check me out at Edgar Destroys on Twitter and Instagram. Uh, you can check out the uh, Nerd Goat Podcast on Patreon, uh, Nerd Goat Podcast, and then uh, or Patreon slash Nerd Goat Podcast, and you'll see us. Uh, uh, our Patreon is just we're just popping so many. We're trying to start doing more video content. We have multiple extra pods, and we have 150 episodes so far of the Nerd Goat Podcast on whatever platform you want: Spotify, Stitcher. Uh, you, you know, ham radio. You could listen to Nerd Goat Podcast. 150 episodes. The last one we did was with Hector Navarro, where we crowned our our tournament of goats. 
uh, we every person who comes on Nerd Goat does their favorite fictional character, and at the end of the year, we all have them fight it out in a big tournament. So <laughs> we we crowned our third tournament of goats champion with Hector Navarro in a long ass episode, which is just great radio. Can we know who it is or no? Should we wait for oh, the episode? Oh. Uh, you can listen to it, but uh, it ends up being Storm, and she deserves it. <laughs> uh, and so, uh, and long, and last things last, uh, on Reboot It on YouTube, we just kind of, we kind of take the tack of um, John Peters, the famous ridiculous producer who puts tries to put giant spiders and everything. Mm-hmm. We pretend that he's given us a task, like a horrible task, like reboot Back to the Future, reboot. Yeah. Jurassic Park, reboot Star Wars, reboot Star Wars all the way over, and you gotta tell the the Sheev and uh, and Luke Skywalker story. You got to tell that some kind of way. We did these things. We rebooted Lord of the Rings, okay, oh, and we recast it and everything. Dude, we're crazy, and so we we, we kind of pretend that we're trapped in a room, but we got to reboot these favorite franchises that we're gonna endure all the hate. And if you look at our YouTube channel, reboot it, you know, on YouTube. People don't really hate it. They kind of like our takes. And even when they don't agree with us, they want to join our community and talk with us about it, which is, like, super dope. That's so, great. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's the best part of a YouTube channel is when you know you've built a good community. Uh, that's hopefully what we think we're doing. But, yeah, that's the best, man, when you know you're not going to get too many uh, people coming at you. Because <laughs> you're always going to have some of them, but not too many. Uh, yeah. I will obviously, um, I don't know if RB3 can link to that. Um, down below somewhere as well eventually mm-hmm. yeah yeah awesome alrighty guys for the meaning of podcast I'm Andres this is RB3 I'm Sabrina and I'm Ed Greer so? and we're peacing out yeah wait <laughs> Andres <laughs> <laughs> did he freeze for you guys it's frozen yeah, yeah. Oh, okay <laughs> right at the end <laughs> My, my internet. I can't see you guys. Oh. <laughs> wait, wait. So, like, what? You can't see us now? I'm I can't done. see you guys right now. <laughs>